There was, um, there have been some discussions in the Slack that I thought would make good uh, fodder. One of them was this discussion that uh, I think mainly Jay and I were having just about uh, transactions in Apex, uh, rollbacks, what, how you manage that, mm-hmm. um, understanding what happens or, or how things get rolled back, when they get rolled back, what you can, you know, m- manual control, that, all that kind of stuff. Because I feel like this is um, one of these areas that, I mean, so the document, there is some documentation on this, although not very much. I mean, in, in fact, for as fundamental and important it is to, for this functionality to mm-hmm. exist, but also for as important as it is for people who are working in this area to to understand this, there's shockingly little talk about the docu- documentation and just in general like training and and talk of this. <clears throat> because um, I, I find it that it's on one of those creating things. Creating transactions, that, you mean? On what? On creating transactions specifically. No, no, no. We, don't, we don't create transactions. Transactions are created for us. Yeah. You just you get dumped. You get dropped into a transaction. Okay, I guess what but, I'm but, thinking which is, is, a point, point, is save points. Yeah. No, that's that's just no, not even that. I mean, and save point is just is just your ability to um, <laughs> create your own transaction. <laughs> yeah, well, no, you're not you're not you're, you're creating you're you're demarcating like save points. It's if if we and we don't necessarily know how those are uh, implemented, but I'm guessing it's just a nested transaction. But you're always in a transaction. Sure. Um, but this is one of those things that even you know really experienced people, and, and including myself, I you know you dig into it. And I'm like, you know what, actually. I, I'm not sure exactly how this certain aspect of it works or whatever. And uh, but one of those that, that I think I wasn't sure about was, and I guess I'll just dig into that, was, um, you know, there's, there's this notion of uh, the, you can, I guess it's if you're in a trigger or whatever, on any S object, you can call this add error method, mm-hmm. right? Right. <clears throat> Which I think probably just results in... Um, yeah, well, I guess not the transaction rolling back, right? Transaction commits, but specific records can be um, can, can be prevented from say you know saving, right? Inserting or updating or whatever. And the tricky thing about this is whether or not when you call add error mm-hmm. on something in in a certain context that results in just that one record being rolled back. In other contexts, calling out error on anything rolls back everything. Um, examples. So for uh, in a in a trigger, okay, calling add error actually will result in only certain records being rolled back. Well, calling it when when you say add error, you're actually on the S object and you're mm-hmm. adding an error to that S object, which yep. means that particular record will fail, but others that are able to succeed that do not have an error should. Um, and see, this is a great example of why we should talk about this because that's not always the case. But anyway, did you see any of this conversation? Which conversation? About transaction handling and records getting rolled back and all that. I saw bits and pieces of it, but it sounded like you guys were solving for each other. And so I was like, oh, I'll move on. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I guess the the summary would be anytime any exception uh, basically bubbles up doesn't get handled by something in, in mm-hmm. Apex land. Uh, the entire transaction is going to get rolled back. <clears throat> yes. And that even includes things, which is kind of nice, that includes things like um, emails that would be sent, and all kinds of stuff. Salesforce kind of wraps in transactions. Um, 
uh, like platform cash, right? Which is also very cool that they that participates in the in the transaction. In fact, I'm not sure. It'd be interesting to see what doesn't get caught in a transaction. Well, if you call stuff and and make them asynchronous or call a queuable, then that gets pulled out of that transaction. So any rollback that occurs won't affect those. They don't run. Is that what you're saying? Well, they already executed. Okay, they already queued up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to, unless you want to have specific control over, uh, if you, if you need the ability to, you know, roll back certain things within your transaction, uh, you really don't need to even mess with save points. I mean, I, I actually, I rarely have to use save points. Um, generally yeah, not, not speaking. Not within the context of a trigger, but for, you know, custom pages or screens or something that you're building where you're having to save you know, multiple pieces of information, hierarchical information, it's handy. It, it, it can be. I just, yeah, I just, I rarely have to use it. Usually, I mean, um, I, again, I'm not calling, if I, for example, you insert an account, mm-hmm. uh, which is the, would be the first thing in the hierarchy, right? And it fails. Well, I'm going to, ca- I've got an exception handle that catches that. And I can just fix it and try to redo it. I don't have to do any save point. There's nothing, there's no save point to roll back. Right. Um, sometimes you do need that. Yeah. But. Sometimes it's a it's a screen where you're entering multiple pieces of information, maybe a header and some children, but you want everything to succeed at the same time. At least with that single save, and yeah. uh, that's it's coming handy there. Right. Anyway, yeah, I don't know if I had anything else on that. I thought that might be a more interesting discussion than what it was. I think transactions and add errors are pretty interesting. I mean, it's it's it's, it's how you control how errors can bubble up, and you got different options on how those get added. Um, you're either throwing a full-blown error and letting that bubble up, or if you're adding errors specifically to a record. Right. And they seem to behave pretty consistently. I know you had some thoughts that there might be some situations where it doesn't, but it, it's always seemed to behave fairly consistently for me. What were, what were my thoughts on that? Um, oh, because I, I had said that uh, when you when you do the add error, it only affects that record so if you had if you were submitting a batch of records and you had two hundred and one of them you added an error to, it should only affect that one error. Yeah, I mean as long as no other exception bubbles up, yeah, right. Now there are cases where you can do an all or none, like with the DML, you can say I'm an, I want to save this and it's all or none, and I think that changes the behavior as well. It's either they either all save or they don't. So you can say if, if I'm gonna submit two hundred right. and all these have to succeed or they or and that's or none of them. Do. And that's the that's the default. Like if you just say insert, these right? Accounts. That's the default. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I said that earlier, though, I, I could have sworn I, I read somewhere, and I'll try to find this. Um, though that there were situations, there was a certain context where add error behaved a little bit differently. In that, if it was called even on just one record, everything was rolled back. And I, I, I don't know. Maybe it was just that if if someone you know chooses the at the all or none option. But I could have sworn it was something else. Yeah. But then uh, I think it was Chris Peterson said, you know, always always default to using uh, the add error method mm-hmm. instead of throwing some transaction to prevent, uh, you know, to, to, you know, to cause rollback. Throwing That's, an exception, you mean? Yeah, what'd I say? Transaction. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just throwing transactions. Right. Because, you know, it's, gonna, it's going to have the effect that you want while at the same time... Um, <laughs> not, I guess, overdoing it in, in situations where... The, well, because you get it, better context, too. 
Yeah, and like if there's a bulk, well, yeah, and and if there's some kind of if you if you're for some reason in some kind of bulk situation, mm-hmm. you know, in the future, maybe something you, you haven't even predicted yet, right? Um, calling add error will just you know affect that one record versus you know killing the whole transaction, which is going to be really irritating to someone try to do a data load or something, and you're you know you're killing every record in the in the batch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I got a. Uh, Salesforce DX invite. I haven't. You didn't get one. Well, no. you probably didn't even sign up. I signed up. You did. I did. But I think I signed up later than everyone. You I may have. I kind of put it on the back burner, and I think I took some time off, and so it wasn't really front of mind to get it get in there. So maybe I'm just further down on the queue than everyone else. So what do you think? Do you have any first impressions? Have you? Uh, what What did you get? I got an email that said um, that I was in. Yeah, but I haven't even I haven't had a chance to look at it. Oh, so that's my impression. Well, thanks for telling us. I know. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm I'm yeah, like I said I'm I'm feeling the love, man. It's like hey, I'm no longer on the I'm no longer on the blacklist. <laughs> Let's see. Let me see what. So this do you is. think they're just kind of slowly rolling out you know a certain number of inv- invites at a time? Well, okay, I got an invite to join a chatter group. Is what I got. Let me see if I got something else. Well, wouldn't that feature be tied to an org, and maybe that's the org you got the put into? What? No, it's it's the chatter group for everyone that's in the DX pilot. Ah, so yeah, I don't know. Maybe well, maybe a, you go in there and then you get details on how to. Could be. Yeah. But no, that's good. It'd be better if you could tell me more about it. I know. <laughs> I I will hopefully. I mean, I've got. I've got. I, I can't wait to get all my questions answered. Do you have them all written down and cataloged and prioritized? And well, like, I mean, do you have, do you have an AI engine attached to I it? So it I think the vast majority of I think my DX issues are metadata related. Just, yeah. I mean, there are just so many things that that prevent you from being able to have like proper CI and just general good software engineering. Capabilities, blue-green deployments, and roll, and be, uh, the ability to roll back things, and having a known, good, testable bill that you can deploy to any org. Yeah, and I think you, I think if it came down to between the two of us, one of us getting access to it, it would be you. It so would it would be, be, yeah, because you've you've kind of set up that type of environment. I I don't run into half the metadata issues that you run into because I'm not trying to push the entire. I'm not trying to push an entire build. <laughs> Well, you seem to get stuck on these projects that there are there are no software engine there are no like I would say build and deployment engineering t- techniques going on. <laughs> it's just every man for himself, piecemeal deployments, and it's the wild west. It's, I know it's fun. These <laughs> guns ablazing, <laughs> pew pew, crazy land. <laughs> um, no, I'm fortunate enough that I am in situations where, um, and I would say we have to like we. I mean, I don't know. I can't, I can't like the projects that. That we're doing this on. I mean, I can't imagine. I can't imagine doing it any way, any other way. And and neither can the. I think the client. I think speaking for these clients, I don't think they could imagine. I mean, it's just since we've gone to things like this, it's just. Oh my gosh, it's just so much better. Yeah. If I uh, hopefully I'll have time to jump into that DX group and get started. Yeah, I'm excited. Want to get into some sloppy reporting? Sloppy reporting. Sir? Sloppy reporting. Got to love sloppy reporting because this is tech journalism. Keep in mind, <laughs> these aren't real journalists, Richard. They're tech journalists. Yeah, sorry, tech journalists. This one was on CNBC. This one, so this one is one of those articles where the title changed. 
So the, the URL is Microsoft's new LinkedIn sales tool, Salesforce killer. And then the actual title is Microsoft just showed off exactly what Salesforce was worried about. <laughs> the editor got a hold of the title on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like they don't have, I mean, their CMS system doesn't support changing the, the slug yeah. for these. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I, I, I have to go in and manually change our slugs sometimes, so it should be possible. What well, was the was the content of the article interesting? Because I I, I kind of read around on this new LinkedIn thing and I it was wrong. Couldn't find much. It was entirely wrong. Why is that? Uh, so this is this is another example of of where fake news. It, well, yeah, it was fake news. <laughs> where where they 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 sense the water in the blood and they they just they this person just reached for it, just went for it, and wanted to make a story, create some drama about Salesforce because uh, LinkedIn announced their their latest update to their sales navigator tool, right. yeah, which isn't a new tool. It's been around for forever. Um, but they added some new enterprise feature, which gave you some more features and gave you a way to spend more money with LinkedIn. Um, nothing new, but it's just, you know, it's just a new feature. Um, and for some reason, they took this and ran and said, well, oh, this must be what Benioff was talking about. You know, they got all this data now and they're, they're integrating it and this and that, and he can't have any of it. Well, it turns out they had to put, she had, they had to put a correction in here because the way it was originally written when I first read it, was, was it made it seem like this was something Microsoft was doing to only benefit Microsoft. But the Sales Navigator tool um, does connect to Salesforce. In fact, it only connects to Salesforce and, um, what's theirs? Dynamics. Dynamics. CRM, yeah. So they had to put a correction on the story. Um, and the correction says, the story originally mischaracterized Sales Navigator. This story has also been updated to clarify that Sales Navigator integrates with Salesforce as well as Microsoft Dynamics CRM. Well, the, the funny part of, that I noticed about this um, is is that the this new improvement? What is it called? Actually, you know, <laughs> the enterprise. Yeah, yeah. So the the I guess it's it's a new subscription level or what, it a is. new addition for it. But yeah, the because like, they had professional and then they had team and now they have enterprise, which is just blatant ripoffs of Salesforce's addition names, <laughs> isn't it? Is that ridiculous? Well, next thing to come out with an unlimited. And yeah, then, exactly. Yeah, which uh, and it and it should not be actually unlimited. Right. <laughs> Just should be called unlimited. But um, no, the funny thing about it was this new Enterprise Edition, it's actually only available for Salesforce right now. It's not even available for Dynamics. Really? That's the best part of it. I didn't know this. that part. Yes. <laughs> I tried to read up on it, but it, it was kind of boring. I was like, oh, yeah, it's another tool for, for selling stuff, and that's not my world. So. Which, which is really funny if you remember back to when Benioff complained to the, to the regulators that Microsoft was using their market power, they were being monopolistic. And and then they went to um to the European regulators and and asked them to stop the LinkedIn thing, and of course now LinkedIn is supporting Salesforce better than it supports Dynamics. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the pricing is um it's, it sounded expensive at first, you know, sixteen hundred dollars a year for this enterprise mm-hmm. edition. But I'm like, wait a minute, that's only like one hundred forty bucks a month, so I don't know. But that's per license that's per, per user. person, yeah. Yeah. So I could add up. Yeah, to me, this was kind of a, a little bit of a nothing burger. It's like. Okay. Well, it was. I mean, I I remember I saw that, but this title and and you know what? It was clickbait, and it, it worked. It got me to to oh yeah to go in and read it. Um, well, and and it was just all talking points. I mean, whether you read it on CNBC or Fortune or Forbes or it was yeah. on Quartz. I mean, they all had the same talking points, and it was the same empty article. <laughs> Ridiculous. Uh, tech journalism. Yeah, gotta love it. Man, I I want to just mention this to you, to, to so we can. I don't know, mutually um, complain about this kind of stuff. But I got, I've got a project that's like a couple, two or three months into a wireframing stage. 
and of course, I will have to preface this, but this is not my choice. That this, this is why this project is being run. But we're a couple months in, and and it's not going to be. We're not going to be. He was supposedly done with the stage until after April, of just wireframing. How I mean, it, is it a big application? I mean, not, it sounds like I mean, you're waterfalling this. Yeah, it's it's like a medium. It, exactly, it's, it's super waterfall, and it's one of these things where there's a there's a a like a user research or you you know kind of UX research firm that's that got involved with this. Of course, they were brought in, and now they've kind of taken over. And this is and this is funny. I mean, this is this type of firm. They've been doing it this way for like twenty or thirty years, right? It, it, mm-hmm. It's the type of firm that they were the ones that would they'd bring they would or they would bring you in users into a room with with one way mirrors. And I think we I feel like we this, I'm having deja vu here because I think we talked about this, mm. um, or maybe something similar. And they would you know they would they would put the software in front of them and let them use it and find out what they could do what they couldn't do what they had to, you know what they had to ask questions about and all that kind of stuff and this is the right. same exact type of firm except that that's not how people build software anymore certainly not you know general you know business software that just have UIs and they're crud you know it's a, basically a, a crud mm-hmm. you know software system right but you know yeah so we're gonna you know and this is I, I know we talked about this because this is the one that like it's it's kind of getting us in trouble because the wireframes that are coming back they're, they're basically they're not just wireframing like the use cases they've created way more complex use cases and way more complex UIs and things it's gonna like drastically increase the budget of the project oh, wow. <laughs> like well this is this is the problem when this is what happens when you go and you do wireframing for three months but, in, in but a this firm is, isn't isn't the one responsible for delivering on it. Just, oh no, no, no. Just, oh, so, like, so they're they're just increasing their profitability by saying, okay, yeah, we're going to create all this stuff, all these deliverables. Look how much we delivered to you. Now, was it was it Office Space or was it like an IBM consulting commercial where they were making fun of consultants and they're like, oh, oh, we don't actually do these things. We just recommend them. <laughs> you know. Yeah, just, I thought I, I think I know which commercials you're talking about. But yeah, that's that's kind of that was like some kind of credit monitoring system. It might be, um, but no. And there's this. Um, I ran across this article on on Medium a while back, and it was it was called "User Research Is Overrated." And it's all about this. How, it, and it's not that it's not valuable at all, but just all this upfront user research mm-hmm. is is um, has been overshadowed by us actually putting working software, working in an agile iterative thing and putting software in front of people and actually letting them use the real thing, not this fake thing or just, or, you know, pie in the sky, theoretical wireframes, because that's all they are. I mean, and I think wireframes are an important tool, but just, I think they're an important tool as a part of building the software. Right. So, But has any, any positive come out of it? I mean, has there been any kind of, you know, value at all, even if it's a small percentage? There probably has been some, positive but i mean I'm, I'm really concerned about all the negative that's going to come out of this the fact that it is it has gotten us i mean into massive scope creep to the to the point to whether that i mean there's talks about even canceling the project because they realize it's you know maybe it's a bigger thing than they'd even want to do yeah i've seen that i've seen that where you know when you start getting into designing things and if you start to over engineer it or it, it could also be just the problem is bigger than anyone realizes you know as as the requirements come out and you realize well that's just not that easy to solve um, that it can kind of scare the client in terms of feasibility of this yeah. project and the the cost of it. But it sounds like this is different. This isn't just, you know, a matter of discovering, you know, how complex a problem is. This sounds like they're actually inventing new requirements. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, the, 
and I and I have no control over this, right? I mean, I know how I like to build software. I like to I like to do the simplest thing that could possibly work and uh-huh. and try to defer important decisions as late as responsibly possible, all this kind of stuff. And this other firm is doing they're doing the opposite. I mean, they're 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 like basically creating all this complexity where there probably doesn't need to be any. And it's just like it's scaring everyone and it's changing everything. And it's and it's I just don't even think I don't think it's based on um I don't think it's I don't think it's based on well informed feedback of of actual working software. Mm-hmm. It's just I don't know. I don't like it. I don't like it, John. <laughs> I don't approve. Anyway, I, I you've probably had similar situations, I'm sure. Yeah, it gets kind of it's it's a balance when you're trying to, you know, work out what the requirements are, define some kind of high level solution and and also in, in that vein either try to validate some kind of high level estimation that you did initially or try to come up with some kind of path of you know iterations and what those are going to cost and those kind of things i mean it's it's an art yeah but um yeah it, it can get derailed by focusing too much on on the big picture not that you shouldn't consider the big picture but just that if, if you just focus on every requirement and everything being done all at once and understanding everything all up front uh, it's going to be hard to get rolling. It's 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 like pushing a rock up a hill. You know, if you keep adding stuff to that rock and making it bigger and bigger, it gets harder to push up that hill. Yeah. <clears throat> and when I found out, you know, shortly after this project started that they were planning on bringing this from, I mean, I really, at that point, was considering, you know, bowing out of the project. Yeah. Because, I mean, I've done this enough times. I can see these things a, a mile away now, like major problems. I can tell when I'm, you know, I can I can see, a, I can sense a death march a mile away. Yeah. Um, and, and I actually also asked for, I said, well, instead of doing this, I, I, instead of doing it in a waterfall process, why don't we integrate this firm's, what, the, what they're doing into an iterative process? Like, mm-hmm. we can let them wireframe, you know, in every iteration. Exactly. That, I mean, they don't know how to work that way. They don't know how to work that way. I mean, they want to get in and they want to do all this wireframing and they want to invoice and get paid and then they want to get out. Yeah. Well, that's not surprising, right? Yeah, because I would imagine that <laughs> that a lot of these these they, a lot of their product, their work product, ends up not getting implemented because it's it's just all pie in the sky. It's all so theoretical. Yeah, yeah. So I was um, got this client that I've worked with for a while, and there's several developers involved in this project, and and some admin and some kind of cross admin slash developer and consultants and there's data experts and whatever. So it's, uh, it, it, you know, and they're, they're not a big operation. Um, it's just they're right now doing a lot of just in fairly intense, you know, IT projects and applications and things like that. And, oh gosh, it's we're probably a year into this. And so the client's got, I, I would say, a year into their Salesforce initiatives. And they've got Sales Cloud and they've got Marketing Cloud and some other stuff. And their sales and so the, yeah they've just got quite a quite a bit of experience now and we've built a, there's they've you know we built a lot of stuff um with them mm-hmm. on Salesforce and not on Salesforce and integrations and things and so their sales rep from Salesforce came or what are they called AEs I guess their AE came to visit and um <laughs> you know of course they're trying to sell them more I can't remember what they were trying to sell them now it was you know it was wave or something and you know the guy made the comment. He's like, "Yeah, no, and, you know we can. This is you know this is remember this is all clicks, not code." <laughs> and everyone just laughs, laughs because it's so disingenuous. It's not true. This client's smart enough to know that. But it, it was a funny moment because like, and I was not just on. A, I was remote. I was on 
a speaker or whatever, and I could just hear the whole room start, you know, <laughs> laughing. <laughs> Maybe they were having a drinking game, and every time the rep said "clicks not code," they took a drink. <laughs> I should add that to the drinking. I mean, word, they were in the drinking game. They were in the office, and unless, unless it was like a Mad Men type office, <laughs> I, I don't think that was happening. It could be like our office. Yeah. Keep a bottle somewhere stashed. Well, John, I feel like I'm I'm falling out of love with Angular. And I wasn't ever in love with Angular. Yeah. I I, I it's funny you say that because I've been I've been doing some some stuff with it and it's it's kind of personal stuff, just stuff I'm toying around with because I feel like I'm not good at it. I feel like I'm really not good at it. Like uh, if Angular? I want to build yeah, if I want to okay. build something do you, I, I wanna, do you wanna be good at Angular? I, I think I do. Okay. However, I'm or, I'm I'm not sold on it yet. Well, what do you, what, how, that's, that's my question is why do you think you want to be good with Angular? Well, I don't know. It, it, there's no real reason for me to be good at it. It's just, it's just a framework that I, that I liked the story of and I liked some of the things I saw in it and I want to get proficient at it. Maybe that's a better way to say okay. it. Um, I don't know if you had a specific need where Angular was made sense or... <clears throat> no, you know, no. It's just, it's just, you know, I wanted to work with that framework more and I wanted to get proficient at it because I wanted to really understand it um, just, just from from a you know real real world perspective and using it, um, but I also have React on the back of my mind because it's a little more, it's not as heavy handed as Angular, at least in my opinion. It's 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 not considered a framework. It's considered a library versus Angular being this full blown framework. And I'm I'm enjoying all these other tools that I want to start plugging into things. Yep. But then I got to find Angular versions of those things or in, in think and you know stuff like that. And I'm like, ah, oh, this is getting kind of. I feel like I'm getting locked in. I feel like I'm in apex of JavaScript world. Yeah. I, mean, I feel like, and in some ways, I think these frameworks, you know, Angular as an example, are good at making, um, making you know, the easy things easier and the difficult mm-hmm. things possible, right? Yeah. But I know, um, I'm, I'm working on this thing right now, and I have this fairly complex form. It's kind of like a configurator, but not, not something super complicated. But, you know, there's all these different uh, drop-downs with, um, with, I would say some, again, it's not complex, but... Um, they're they're almost like dependent pick lists, except they're way more complex than that. Um, in Angular, so the you know the the kind of standard way you build you build forms is you just have you know your HTML template right, and you just data bind to right. data that's in your controller, and you can put validations on those things. So they're just they're basically just attributes you can you know I don't know uh, required and max mm-hmm. length or whatever these things are. Um, and if you want to do custom validators, you can. You can write your own custom validator. Although even I feel like writing your own custom validator is, is, is actually involves more boilerplate than I feel like there, it should. And I got in a situation where really in order to do the type of validation I was wanting to do, which is uh, like inter-control validation. So you know, what you select on one thing mm-hmm. could, af- you know, could affect something else. And you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like in between your different... Um, Input elements, right? And you really have to. You can't even use at that point. You have to switch from the template forms to what Angular calls reactive forms, which is a horrible name because it has nothing to do with uh, reactive, the reactive style programming, right? Which has nothing to do with React either. These are all <laughs> completely separate things, which is yeah. super confusing. Um, it's really it's, there's another name for it, which is model driven forms. But in that, instead of instead of you binding like your input elements and things to properties on your controller, you build up this data model on your controller and you kind of inject it into the form in a way. And, and that's fine. That all made sense. But still, what I had to do to get all these, to build all these validators of what I want to do, I mean, there was just, there was so much boilerplate. And mm-hmm. just, it, I mean, yeah, the boilerplate and also just 
really um what's what's the word like voluminous code for simple stuff and i got done and i'm looking at this finished product and i'm looking at the code thinking this is just not good you shouldn't kind of feel like you've overengineered it yeah you shouldn't have had to go you know write this much code and it's it's not it's not I mean I did the best I could but it, it's not elegant it's not a good programming model is what really what I came, what it came down to this is not a good programming model or at least this particular area of Angular and there's other areas too which I'm just not crazy about and I really haven't gotten into React yet I I think maybe you know if I get an opportunity to on a new project or or something I'll I'll take a look at it and see if it's um you know and people first I mean it, it you know you keep hearing this about Ang, you know Angular is is kind of it really has already seen its day. It's kind of dying off, and, and there's a kind of a mass exodus t- toward uh, toward React. Hmm. Well, I wonder. I mean, I wonder if because Angular was around at a time where these frameworks were really useful, especially given the state of JavaScript support in browsers. And I, I think I think now that we're getting closer to ES6 and all those kind of things with with the language actually supporting a lot more and, and being a little more useful that I, I I talked about this before and you, you had mentioned you didn't really care about it. <laughs> you know, kind of the vanilla JS movement as well, where, you know, people are trying to do as much as they can vanilla without getting frameworks or libraries involved. Yeah. Good luck with that. <clears throat> <laughs> I'm not advocating for it. I'm just saying, I mean, getting, getting closer to, to, you know, using less libraries or at least using libraries only as you need them instead of this full blown framework where you're, you're, you're basically saying, this is how I'm going to code everything. And I'm going to follow this this paradigm. It's not, oh, I need a number formatter, so let me bring in numeral and, and format my numbers. Or I need, you know, I need a promise library, so let me bring that in. And I'll use this. It's it it you pick this framework and you use use it the way they want you to use it. Yeah, I mean these some of these frameworks do like I mean I mean they they do a pretty good job of you can sub things out if you don't want to use like for example in Angular. I mean they really use observables a lot, but you can basically kick those all back to promises. And if you just want to use promises, that's fine. I mean, there, there is some flexibility there, but I mean, this vanilla JS thing is ridiculous. I mean, if, if you don't, if you, if you don't use some library or framework that's doing these things, I mean, there are things that have to be done. So you're either going to, I guess, redo them yourselves, which is absolutely absurd because people have put millions of hours into building these, building and testing these frameworks over the course of the past, you know, five plus years. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can just do things in a really, really horrible way that's not testable, that's not modular, that's not maintainable, that's not very readable. I mean, that's what these frameworks do for you. You can like, you can write the code. I mean, that's the idea. Is like you write code that's specific to your application, the business logic, the functionality, and all the plumbing crap is handled for you in a in a in a good way, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess there's some merit to that, but I mean, the fact that React and even Angular exists is because someone took the time to to build it. Someone took the time to understand native JS, vanilla JS, and built this framework around that. Well, even even they're not built on vanilla JS. I mean, no, they're not. But you know, I mean, look at look at the the dependency tree for any yeah. interesting app. I mean, it's going to be whether it's JavaScript or Java or .NET or anything. I mean, it's just it's a lot of you know you you're building things on that, the shoulders that, of giants. That does kind of, <laughs> that does kind of bug me. Uh, I guess it's no difference than I don't I, yeah. I, I don't know. I, the, it shouldn't bug you when you take your whatever your favorite piece of software is, and if you could somehow see the dependency tree for that thing, it's you can't build good software without relying on all these things. You know, just I don't know, just is what it is. It's it's a problem. I mean, it's a, it, they're dependencies, right? And by mm-hmm. de- definition, dependencies are a liability, right? 
because they can break, they can change. And if you're in the JavaScript world, you know, God help you because it's an absolute mess. It's a disaster. The rate at which, first of all, the way the dependencies are, are factored and just the fact that there's all these dependencies for like micro little things. Right. Like, just, but I think for uh, me, it's, it's because, you know, going back to whether it's Java or C Sharp or VB or whatever, you had this self-contained language and it had libraries that you could bring into it. I mean, I guess that's the same concept, but JavaScript was, to me, was always this, this scripting language. It just... Oh, that's... Not anymore, man. I, well, I'm just saying. It, fact, that was that was. I did these things, and and everything was was there. And, and so when I brought new stuff, that was just all new complexity that just wasn't. It wasn't designed for that. You know, I mean, there was no require this JavaScript library and bring it in, and and you know that dependency was managed by the compiler. It just John, there was you, none of are that. Are you pining for the good old days of JavaScript? <laughs> it was a simpler time. Back when I was a kid, we didn't have no require <laughs> statements. You had to just copy and paste it. That's right. <laughs> And you put all your JavaScript in one big JS file and you loaded it over the internet on your 28.8K modem. But <laughs> it, well, so we take this very simple language and we've we've made it really complicated and it doesn't have the <clears throat> I don't know we made it complicated. We I'm have sure that's fair. We've we've enhanced the language. It's added it's added um you know, capability to the language. It's in a lot of these, I mean, if you're talking about, and I'm talking about like just the language here, because that's, mm -hmm. you, I think, I feel like you have to give JavaScript a fair shot. Talking about the language, the ecosystem and the, and node and node modules, and that's uh, node packages, that's a whole other topic. But like just the language itself, I mean, I'm pretty thankful for most of those things that have been added to the language. Because, well, I mean, yeah, and I'm thankful for ES6. I'm thankful for right. lets and consts and all those because that's, that's going to help. Because before then, your variable, your variable could be anything. Yeah. And it could be changed at any point in time. Yeah. And you had no control over that. And so now you have all these other libraries and all these collisions, all these kind of, um, I guess, collisions or overrides or whatever that are happening without your knowledge. That, then that still can happen. That's just JavaScript. It's just, it's a mess. <laughs> and, and a no every, every class you build has to have a no conflict mode or something. I yeah. Know. I feel like that's just, I mean, that's kind of dynamic languages. I mean, you know, I've, you know, Ruby, Ruby gets all monkey patched to hell and, I know. I just, I just, I just feel like we took this language and it, it's so ubiquitous, and we we made it. We made, we did we did our best with it, and we did some some really awesome stuff with it. I'm talking just development in general, programmers in general, the world in general. You're back to your good old days. You're no, you're, no. You're, I'm you're, saying you what I'm saying is, we need we need a first a, a internet first programming language. I, JavaScript was a scripting language. It was, uh, oh, that, but that's what Dart was going to be, right? I know, but why? Why aren't they succeeding? Why aren't people flocking to those things? What, what's wrong with it's, them? It's Atwood's law, John. You know Atwood's law? I guess not. I mean, or maybe you need to refresh my memory. Yeah, it's it's and it's what's his name? Jason Atwood. Yeah, Jason Atwood. Um, yeah. Any application that can be written in JavaScript will eventually be written in JavaScript. And you know what? That was. That was 10 years ago, over 10 years ago, that he, that he defined that law. And did you know in the Stack Overflow 2017 developer survey that just came out, for desktop application developers, desktop applications, mm -hmm. number one language, JavaScript. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I will contribute to that. To that uh, and we're getting statistic. to the point that like back-end devs, number one language, well, JavaScript. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, I get it. And I, I get the attractiveness to it. And I, I get that, you know, it's it's a it's a skill set that that uh, everyone's using. 
Yeah. I mean, if you know JavaScript, you, you can probably get a job anywhere because it's it's that language. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 is a, it is the lingua franca of programming nowadays. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be... I mean, you know, whether you got your Ruby guys and your Java guys and your Python guys, that's fine. But their Rosetta Stone is uh, is JavaScript. That's yeah. the one thing they can all come together on. <laughs> <laughs> but, I don't know. I, and, and who knows if it's ever going to happen. I, I, if ever we're going to get a new language, uh, because by then AI will be writing yeah. it. Will, will AI be writing a JavaScript? <laughs> yeah, it already is. It's already written you out of a job, John. <clears throat> uh, no, but, you know, back to Angular. I mean, there's things I like about it. I mean, like I... Um, it's, I, don't know, I, can't, I don't know if you can credit Angular with this, but I like, I like TypeScript. Speaking of JavaScript, I mean, I like TypeScript. Yeah. Um, TypeScript actually kind of takes ES6. You know that's Microsoft, and, right? It is. Okay. Just yeah. wanted to make sure because you're such an anti-Microsoft I'm not person. anti-Microsoft. <laughs> Just wanted to let you know I that you like, like something Microsoft did. Yeah, I do. No, I love, I've liked a lot of what Microsoft has been doing. But, you know, TypeScript is pretty nice. Um, and I just, I don't know, I... I you know, I get this. I get the sense still that with Angular, they just they didn't they didn't nail the programming model. Whereas I feel like just based on what I've heard that you know React has, I really need to get into that. Yeah, I don't know what else to say. Um, probably the main reason I still do a lot with Angular is because Ionic requires is built on Angular, still. Mm-hmm. And I think you can technically not use Angular somehow or another, but then you're just left with kind of their style sheets. And it's just, it's not, it's, I don't know why they even make that claim because it's, that is not a fruitful way to go forward. <laughs> <laughs> I really like Angular. I mean, it's, and Angular, I'm not sorry, not Angular, Ionic. Ionic's really growing. I mean, their version two is really nice and they, they are branching into desktop da- apps now and you can, you can, if you do it right, you can build an app, and when you when you hit the build button, you get an iOS version, an Android version, and a desktop web version. When and it and it it's pretty slick, and they've just got so many. You know, they've done the engineering on on these basically web components mm-hmm. that they fixed all the platform specific performance and weird edge cases and bugs and all that. They've done all that because there's like again, that's one of those things that there's no way you can do that yourself. You do not want to. You do not want to go it alone. You do not want to go vanilla. <laughs> Titles, John. Yeah, I know. Uh, anyway, um, so so uh, Benioff, thanks to his buddies uh, Jenny Rometty and uh, Monica Langley. Yeah, uh, that's working out for him, isn't it? It, it totally is. He got his creepy <laughs> mug on TV at the White House. You know. Did you see the picture they of, of I guess someone I forgot who it was, but someone was standing up behind him and he was next in line to speak. And he has that same smirk that he had on that Forbes magazine, that kind of sideways, creepy kind of smirk. It was just weird when I saw that. Yeah, I don't know. But for a couple of days, every time I go into the kitchen over here, Benioff's on the TV. And of course, it's on CNBC. That's where I saw the picture. It wasn't, it was, well, I, it was no, you tweet, you yeah, uh, I, I, messaged I, me. I'll take a picture of it. But yeah. I have, um, so there was, I, I've got various audio. I think there's only thing I, one thing I want to play though, which is, when they actually, I guess we're in the, I don't know what room they were in, somewhere in the White House. So, you know, a lot of these tech people and then uh, the German Chancellor Merkel was there and, and some other, uh, some German companies were there. And it's basically just this idea of like, how do we improve our job situation? How do we have a modern workforce? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and going in, in forward into the future when you've got things like AI taking everyone's jobs, how do you have a modern workforce and all that? And... That's probably. Let me let me play a little bit of this. 
Great job. Great company, too, by the Great company. Mark? Well, thank you very much, Mr. President. You know that, can they not use... I mean, there are awesome mirrorless cameras nowadays. Yeah. Why, are they, why don't people use those in these settings when all you can hear is a thousand shutters going off? I have no idea. Delighted to be here and uh, great to see you and the vice president as well. Uh, Salesforce, as you know, is the fastest growing of the top five software companies uh, in the world today. And uh, we're on a path to create two. And uh, <clears throat> by the way, I'm just going to set this stage because you're going to start hearing this everywhere. I've, I've already seen it. I could play you four clips of Benioff in different places over the past week, and moonshot is his new word. Moonshot. Moonshot. All right, I'll add that to All the right. drinking game. Two million jobs and add 200 GDP to the world economy through our platform. Our software, as you know, 90% is engineered oh, also? here in the anyway, United States. And, that. Uh, as the vice president, two million jobs and add 200 GDP to the world economy. So he says 200 GDP. I, th I think what he's meaning there is 200... He thinks that Salesforce will somehow have like a $200 billion impact mm. on the United States' GDP. But on his CNBC interview, he said $400 billion. Mm. I'm, I'm thinking he might have scaled that back or something. I'm not sure. Or scaled it up. I don't know. Because I did the math and that's, that's like almost 3% of our GDP. <laughs> so. Well, going back to Stack Overflow. Talk, talk about a moonshot. Talk, going back to Stack Overflow, uh, web developers, 72%. Of what? Well, uh, a demand, I guess, uh, between, you know, desktop, mobile, database administrator, all those different job types or types of developers. Are you saying, are you saying that Salesforce developers are web developers? I guess, yes. Okay. <laughs> they are. Well, I think that's, that's a web actually, application. That's one of the criticisms of, this, of the Stack Overflow survey is that's just how you, def I mean, it's, it's, har it's hard to find someone who's a developer who isn't in some way doing some kind of web development. Yeah. It's a weird term. Economy through our platform. Our software, as you know, 90% is engineered here in the United States. And uh, as the vice president knows, handmade in Indianapolis and in San Francisco, where I'm from. It's also funny how now he's got a, you know, because he, he, he battled Mike Pence. Yeah, he did. Right, with all his uh, Indiana stuff. Yeah. And now he's got to, <laughs> he's got to sit there across the table from him. <laughs> but, you know, he, again, you know, we've talked about this. Benioff, he's been, he's been getting out in front of this Trump thing for, I mean, since the election, right? Yeah. And, I, and I'll tell you, as we kind of creating these uh, jobs all over the world, see a great opportunity right here in the United States to create apprenticeships. And we'd love to encourage you to take a moonshot goal to create 5 million apprenticeships in the next five years. Right. And, and I think the key is that we, we see all these great programs and all these great you know, companies um, doing workforce development. But if we all came together, if we all unified and uh, created a great program with uh, your leadership, I think we could create this 5 million extra jobs in the U.S. And, you know, our companies are, are some of the greatest universities in the world. We shape these employees, we train them, we educate them, we bring them in. And I think we can do this. I think this is really exciting. Well, congratulations. Thank on you. You're doing an incredible job. Thank you. And uh, nice to know you. And yeah. really what you've done is just amazing. And let's do that. Let's go for that five million, okay? <laughs> Very yeah, some, some good compliments uh, from the president there. Yeah. But <clears throat> a couple of things. I mean, I just wanted to ask you. I, I feel like already, I mean, um, I feel like software engineering, software development, whatever, is one of these things where I think that is, in a lot of cases, the main way that people learn. I mean, you start out as a junior programmer in a, in a typical you know, job, and, and you learn from these people 
that have been doing this for 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. Because when you come out of a out of college with your CS degree, I mean, you really don't know how to build software. I mean, you well, may, you, don't, you don't know how to solve problems. You just, yeah, you may. I mean, well, no, you understand I mean, the language. You understand the syntax. No, or, you understand how machines work. You understand electrical engineering. You understand automata and and uh, logic and things like that. But I mean, you don't. I mean, and, and some CS programs have actually gotten better about this. And a lot of people have also been doing uh, software engineering programs instead of computer science programs. But computer science, you come out with, you know not knowing how to build software in a lot of cases, especially the, the more traditional ones. And, and some of the better programs are, are still pretty traditional. Uh, but you, yeah, you say so you traditionally learn through, I mean, you start your, you know, as a junior programmer, you don't know how to do much and mm-hmm. you really learn a lot from these people you work with. And I feel like, so we've, I mean, it's, it may not be super official, but I feel like that we've, um, and, and I think there's a lot of other careers that are like this where you, we kind of are apprenticing already. And well, so startup I what, culture is kind of a big apprenticeship, isn't it? I'm, well, maybe so. It's, it's, and, uh, startups are where that's tough because in a startup environment, I feel like startups they don't have time for apprenticing. They don't, you know, they don't have the runway. A startups generally need people. All everyone they hire to hit the hit the road running, hit the ground running. Whereas big companies. You know, they that's what they do. I mean, they, they have this constant program of bringing in junior people to keep feeding their machine of, you know, just their HR requirements. Yeah, maybe. I guess I just, when, when it comes to startups, I always think about the guys that are coming just out of college, the Googles of the world that just went out and started building something. Yeah, so Benioff talks about, you know, how the universe, or universities are, are, are these, I guess, what did, what did he say? Companies. These companies are basically, you know, universities. So he's saying that, I think he's acknowledging that, first of all, this, this mentoring thing, apprenticing, already is a thing, even though it may not be highly formalized, and that these companies are the universities of, of job training, essentially. Mm-hmm. That's already a thing. Yeah. So what, is, what does he want the federal government to do for him? I have no clue. Yeah. It's just... <clears throat> I don't know. But who who is the target for these apprenticeships? Is it, is it I mean that that's the question, right? Yeah, I guess so. Fitbit. God, John. <laughs> I tried not to. You better mark that, please. Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> is this is this episode even gonna make it out the door? I don't know. We'll find out. I mean, we've had to stop so many times. I know. Our our concentration has been cut. So many different times. I have no idea where we're at in our conversation. So I have a, I have another, I have a second question about this. Then, which is, ben, I mean, Benny, I've already been talking about how. In fact, there's other articles this week about how he's talking about. He's now admitting that artificial intelligence and automation are going to deplo- displace many workers. They're, these jobs are not going to be there anymore. Um, and the but the companies that are you know his thing is that the companies that are building these technologies have a responsibility to educate which they don't to educate and they won't educate and retrain these employees to prepare them for new work opportunities so john you're going to the ai is going to take your job away so aren't you looking aren't you looking forward to these great new work opportunities that salesforce is going to train you for and i don't want to be point and clicker that sounds and, and that, if, sounds, that li- sounds wrong if, but if, <laughs> i want to i want to walk that back <laughs> I, I can't see myself just configuring programs. I, I remember, remember whenever I mentioned I'm, that visual JavaScript program that just turned me off of Java completely. Yeah. yeah. If that's what how I'm going to be coding, I, I don't want to do it. Yeah, I don't know what we'll be doing, but 
if if these jobs are going away, then what? Who are we apprenticing, and what for? What purpose are we apprenticing them? Because I don't think it's really going to happen. At least not anytime in the near future. And what happened to just augmenting? Uh, last well, week it was I, augmenting. Well, now, now we're is, replacing. IBM still holds firm on the on their technology is all about augmentation. That yes, there are certain certain uh, jobs that might get displaced, but but that's that's the nature course of, of advancing technology, and that you can learn a new skill. But they're still focused on augmentation. They're still focused. They they still say that there's a lot of decisions. There's a lot of things in this world that do involve people because we're interacting with people. Yeah. And machines just not going to be able to do it. Right. It's just, you know, I saw, I'm, um, I was reading some, some analysts who were saying it's unclear if, if, the, if anyone really knows right now what these retrained workers are going to even do. I, I, I think they're, they're screaming doom and gloom way too early. There's, there's really no indicator that we're anywhere near that just yet. And it, it's a problem that that I think we'll have to solve when we get there. But right now, it's not going to do anyone any good by by beating the drums, doom and gloom, and discouraging people from getting into technology. Well, it's better to learn something than nothing. I mean, <laughs> it, it's it's so funny. I mean, all, all these tech guys—they're all screaming about everyone should be learning to code. You know, everyone should know how to code something. You know, the hour of code, and now they're telling you, yeah, "Screw it, your robots are going to do it." Yeah. I mean, we, we literally went from everyone should code to, oh, crap, no one's going to be, you know, hardly anyone's going to be coding anymore. And I, I just, I don't buy into that. I mean, it, maybe it'll happen one day, but we're still decades away from that. And it's just, it's just not practical, I don't think. Yeah. I mean, people are still going to have to build stuff. Well, I, I think know? there's already a backlash on, on certain pieces of technology where, where automation is just, it, yes, it, it, it works, it does well, it handles the masses because it doesn't have to sleep or anything like that. It can handle a million transactions versus a person, but people miss people interaction. People miss being able to talk to a person, talk, talk to someone locally, or, or even just go and walk into a store and talk to someone, yeah. ask questions about something, not, not do a, a freaking search engine. I, because there's no, there's no details with this, with this proposal that Benny was talking about, but you'll see him everywhere. He's gonna, it's Moonshot. His, moon, his five million job Moonshot. <clears throat> And because there's no details, I, I think this is really, you know, we we've talked, we've documented over the over years now how Benioff gets in front of potential issues to head them off, so that when this when an issue does come to the fore, he's like the good guy, he's the savior, right? And this is one of those things. Like he, I do think that he thinks that AI is going to be replacing jobs. Salesforce is going to be going to be highly involved in that. But when it becomes this big problem, Salesforce is already going to be viewed as this company who innovated and brought in all these other companies in the federal government to train people for jobs and to make it better for everyone. Mm-hmm. Now, whether that's actually true or not, or if anyone actually believes that, is a different story. But that is what's going on here, I think. That's fair. <laughs> of course, that's my predictable view. All right, well, let's, um, let's get to the... Do you want to talk about the Stack Overflow survey? Yeah, why not? We do it every year. They, it's, so, it's becoming a thing for us. So I, I went to the the methodology or just the information about the survey. Six, you know, sixty four something thousand uh, software developers from two hundred thirteen countries. Eighty eight point six men. Eighty eight point six percent men. How do we so lose what percentage? Because wasn't it a seventy thirty no, no. split, or now we're down to eighty twenty? Okay, so that would be what twelve percent women. Um, last year it was six percent women. Oh, okay, so we kind of doubled the women. I think this goes to show, you know, I mean, these companies that like to flog themselves for not having enough women in their engineering department, I mean, they're just, they're not, a, they're not in the job pool. Yeah. Now, why they're not in the job pool is another story, right? But, which is, I think, more interesting. Um, 
Stack Overflow says that they think that 10% of just their their traffic to their website is, is women based on, I don't know, one of these sites that analyzes your traffic for you. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. But anyway. But that's interesting. How do, how do they know that? Well, that's why I said. There's no, I'm logging onto the internet, <laughs> no, male. No. I'm logging on the internet, female. I'm logging on the internet, uh, other. Well, you do know that pretty much every site you go to, if they pay enough money, they can know pretty much everything about you. I mean, there's, these these cook these tracking yeah, things they'll, that they'll track take you everywhere. IP, they'll go to Facebook and track your information from there, and they'll go to. They us. know everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, well, I mean, is, did anything jump out at you? I mean, we, you know, there's obviously the, the Salesforce thing, but I, 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 I don't know. Thought a couple of things interesting. Um, programming languages. So obviously, the most popular one. Mm-hmm. That's just popularity in terms of what you're using, not like what you love or whatever. But JavaScript, sixty two percent. Um. Next is SQL, and then Java. I, you know what? And it's—I I tell you, Java just won't go away. In fact, Java's, you know, it's having a, a bit of a renaissance, especially you with say that like you want it to. Java just no, won't I do. go I, away. Well, I mean, I oh, like I want it to go away. No, I don't. I mean, I I, I like Java. I've got a long, you know, history with Java. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 really. I mean, it's kind of modernized itself, and it's doing some cool things with modularity, and and the language itself has has uh, gotten much better. There's still things that C Sharp was able to do better than Java, just because of Java's. Legacy and backwards compatibility, but overall, and you know, the, God, the thing with C sharp is it's just it, that's that's the, probably the biggest language in the world now in terms of the its surface area. Mm-hmm. It's just it's it, they've added you know everything but the kitchen sink into that language now. Uh, I think I find that SQL being number two is interesting, but I guess that's only because everyone has sense, some, right? has to write data somewhere, exactly. so they have to know SQL. Kind of makes sense, yeah. But John, with I, this is my ask, John, with three million Apex developers, where where is <laughs> why is Apex not on this list? I mean, it goes all the way down to Haskell and Lua. It, you know, one percent. There's no Apex, and I just I want to because because this is causing cognitive dissonance no, in my brain. No. John. We're, we're all Lightning developers, which means we're now JavaScript developers. Yeah, but you still have to do Apex. Nah, not anymore. Mm, okay. All right. And then once data services nope. comes out, you won't have to do that there's, either. There's John's. That was John's answer. All right. <laughs> Because uh, we're we're in the JavaScript number, that's why. Most popular framework, Node.js, your favorite. Second is AngularJS. Again, that's what people are using right now. Right. Not what they want to be using. .NET Core. Okay, that's cool. And React isn't. Uh, React yeah. is React is. Uh, it's fourth place there. Yeah. But it's I think there. it's 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 going up fast, quickly. Uh, databases, MySQL on top. Then Microsoft SQL Server. Interesting. It's it's interesting that Oracle's way at the bottom. I yeah. wonder if that's just because they're so they're so enterprise heavy. It's such a small. I think so. A small market. Yeah. Or a I small, mean, do you work with Oracle? No, I, I don't. I mean, every on the rare occasion I have to do some migration, but I don't. I don't. I'm not an Oracle person. Yeah, and most companies I know they were if they had Oracle's because uh, you know some major application that was using it at the, as the back end, and we would just basically replicate data from there into our SQL box so we could do our app stuff. Yep. All right, John. Most loved programming language. Well, first of all, where do you think JavaScript falls on that? So I can't. Like, I can't look. Oh, you can. I guess I can't look now. <laughs> it's it's like I can't even count. It's like twelve, maybe. Number one, though, Rust. Number two, Smalltalk. Um, that's crazy. I mean, Smalltalk. Most is loved, but, dreaded, and hey, wanted. TypeScript is number. So are three. Are you on the loved or? Yeah, on? I was not looking at loved. Okay. TypeScript is number three. Can, that's great. I, I'm going to say something dumb. I think. What is Rust? I haven't heard of Rust. What is Rust? Yes. It's it's a systems language. 
A systems programming language that runs blazing fast, prevents seg faults, and guarantees thread safety. Yeah, I have never heard of this. Why? I, I don't know. It's number one, and I've never heard of it. Oh, I feel like a dork. Um, yeah, it's got, um, like, I think, predictive, uh, it's got a, a predictive memory management model, a memory model. See, I'm just old. I'm just old. I can't keep up anymore. It's hard. I mean, yeah, I, I only know of it at a high level. I've never used it. Um, okay. Most loved framework and library, React. 67%. Then Node. Is I, I feel like a bandwagon hopper because who I'm, loves I, Node? I, this is what I want to know from you. Who loves Node? I don't know that anyone. Huh? I guess I, people I think, do. Well, I, it, because it's what you use to do server side stuff yeah, in I JavaScript. So. I, I take that back. I mean, I, I know people who love Node. I I remember when Node came out, and I didn't think it was going to make it. Yeah. I was like, "Oh, that's a dumb idea. Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to program in JavaScript on the server side?" And now I'm like, "Oh, yeah. I'll fire up a little Node app here really quick and." Get this done. You know, and, and as, as far as a, you know, as far as dependency management and things like that, you know, Yarn has is, is become the new, like, yeah. you know, client for NPM packages. Yep. Uh, most dreaded framework, Cordova. That doesn't surprise me. Every time, you know, because I've done some, um, you know, mobile stuff with, with Cordova, and it's just such a pain because... It's like everything's out of date, documentation's out of date, and you have to go like digging through forums and blog posts to figure out some new switch to some something to get it to work on the new version of iOS. <clears throat> Xamarin is hated. And AngularJS, number four. <laughs> <laughs> Firebase, that's interesting. You ever used Firebase? No. I played with it. It's like a, um, it's designed to be a back-end for mobile apps, so it's got... Like authentication and and you can write some basic APIs and stuff. Uh, most love database Redis. Uh, then Postgres. I, I do like me some Postgres. It's my kind of my that's my go to. But the most hate, most dreaded database was uh, Oracle. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Well, this is the sad part. Uh, most dreaded platform. Are you scraping the love platforms? Well, okay, loved. Most loved. Linux desktop, of course. All, all Linux guys love their de- love their own desktop, right? <laughs> they always think it's the year of Linux on the desktop. Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, if you don't want to be a fanboy, then you have to say Linux. If you say oh, OS ten or uh, Windows ten, then then you're a Microsoft what? fanboy or an Apple fanboy. And so like, your, your they, neutral position is Linux. I don't even know what they mean by by loved or by platform. I mean, they're they're talking about desktop operating systems and. Little bitty devices and well, yeah, it's, it's and, weird that that the operating system has has become a platform. I always always considered operating systems operating systems, not platforms. I mean, but I guess they have an API and a language, and you develop on them, and you host applications in it. So yes, they're a platform. But then then you have operating systems in with WordPress, yeah, and Salesforce. Right. Well, listen, we we've done enough coverage of everything from blog systems to enterprise software to know that. Everything is a platform. Yes. Einstein is a platform. Yes. Of course. Yeah. But no, uh, whiskey so, making is a platform. Yeah, yeah. That's really. <laughs> uh, so most dreaded platforms. Number one, SharePoint. That's not a surprise at all, but just second by a hair, Salesforce again. Now, this is interesting to me because, and this, what was it, for last year, the first year that Salesforce, or is it a couple of years ago, you know, kind of top of the most dreaded technology? What is. What what is this all about? How is that even that high? First of all, 
What? How is it that high on this dreaded technology? It's number two. It looks like they took the loved and flipped it. <laughs> it kind of is, actually, which makes sense. I think dreaded, I think it's opposite of loved. I mean, that it, it literally looks... I mean, I bet if I opened two tabs and just... Or took a picture and flipped it, you would have the loved. Yeah, I, th- I think that's probably what it is. But why? I mean, why Salesforce? Why Salesforce? Such a dreaded. I mean, you've been to Salesforce. You see this. You know, you see the admins there in the admin zone and the MVPs and everything. This this don't this does not look and sound like people who dread the Salesforce platform. Yeah, but you got to look. Is at it the- because this is more? These are more. This is a programmer audience that has to deal with met the metadata API. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, yeah. well, let's look at it, let's look at it from the Stack Overflow perspective. I mean, it, it it it's not Salesforce specific unless you're on the Salesforce Stack Exchange. But um, for the most part, we're talking just developers, and you're taking someone right. who has all the flexibility of the world in JavaScript, or I'm sorry, in Java or C sharp, and and then you're telling them, okay, now take that and program in this other environment. Now you can't you can't loop your queries. You can only run so many statements. You have to get everything done within ten seconds. Uh, your your language is Apex. Your code's going to get screwed up by new validation rules and process builder and um, all this other stuff. And when it comes time to deploy, um, you have to have 75% coverage. Just fine. That's not a problem. And um, all those tests are going to run. It's going to take an hour to run and deploy. Yeah. And you'll find out in four hours whether you're going to get to spending time with your family over the weekend. <laughs> yeah. Because it's funny. When people ask about getting started on Salesforce, I'm like, well... It, the language is similar to what you already know. So, because usually it's someone who's coming from C sharp or Java, and I'm like, yeah, you'll, you'll understand the syntax. What 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 you really have to learn is all the gotchas. You have to learn about all the limits and what you can and can't do in certain contexts, and then you have to deal with, you know, you know, deployments and your unit testing and your because unit testing is difficult as well because you can't really truly mock anything. You, you know, we've talked about that in, to death for yeah. the most part. So it, for. I think for people coming from other languages and coming into the Salesforce, they just see how tied in everything is. Because it's, and I, I know I've said this before, it's it's because it it's that uncanny valley of software development. You it almost looks like a language. It almost looks like a full full fledged language. It almost looks like a full fledged uh, environment where you can do anything you want to do, and they tell you you can do anything you want to do, and then you you get all these. It's like you get this weird kind of you see something weird that doesn't add up. Yeah. I don't know. That's my thoughts. Yeah. It's that's my rambling. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. I mean I felt like you just let me talk on that one. <laughs> no, that was good. I like that. <laughs> uh and you know, it's one of those things where we I don't know, it's like But it it's not a question of whether it's valuable or not. It's it's not the question wasn't is Salesforce valuable? Is it widely used? Is it widely acceptable? Is it is it a popular tool? That wasn't the question. Is it the, the the survey skewed towards? Do you wake up in the morning going, "Yes, I get to develop in, in Apex today"? Woo! I don't think that's anyone's attitude. Yeah, right. I mean, I get excited when I get to fire up my Visual Studio Code and do some React or Angular or any or you know, it, it. Sometimes I get to even work on an old integration I did some time ago, and I'm firing up Visual Studio. I'm like, "Wow, oh, this is cool. This is nice." It just it would be interesting if there was some way to for people that. You know, rated it as as dreaded, just you know, to get detail on that. I mean, some of it's predictable, but I don't know. I think there's would be some well, inter- they, interesting stuff to. Unpack. I think last year, after they released this, maybe a month or so afterwards, they released the survey questions, didn't they? I don't know. I thought they did. I wonder if that's something that we can look at as well from here. 
or request. Just to kind of see how that was worded. Because, I mean, how a question's worded for a survey will greatly determine that. Yeah, but the questions weren't worded differently for one platform versus the other. It was the same, it was the same question. Yeah, but it could have been one of those, here's 10 pl- platforms or 10 whatever, now rate them. And people are just dragging, you know, the ones they like on the top and the rest of them are bubbling down because maybe they've never used them. You can, I mean, you can go look at the survey. I, I looked at the design of it. it. It seemed, I mean, the the biggest problem with this survey is it's it's a, you know, you have selection bias and, and um, you know, sampling error, basically. Well, there's really no, <clears throat> I mean, it, basically, if you, if, you, um, if you saw the link in the, on the side of Stack Overflow to take the survey and clicked it, then, you know, you're in. Yeah. So, suffers from all kinds of uh, response bias. Sure. Uh, anyway, well, I don't really have any more topics. Um, do you have anything you want to get to? Yeah. Okay. Because uh, I was thinking maybe not have this one go two hours since we're going to be doing some heavy editing due to all of our technical problems. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Well, all right. Well, well, what else do you have? Well, given that we have a lot of editing to do, um, how about we just finish off with our latest review? Uh, okay. And we'll be done. Cool. Um, so this one's, this one's a really good one. This one's titled Tech Salesforce Whiskey. That's pretty much us. Yeah. Although, you know <laughs> what? I was thinking we really, we do need to bring the, some beverage back into the, into the show. It's been a while. It has. I mean, it's kind of getting sad here. Well, for a while there, I was, I was um, our recording got longer and. <laughs> which, which can get dangerous if there's alcohol involved. <laughs> yes. So that meant more alcohol consumption, which meant, um, I had to go to the restroom. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of. Pause. I can't hold it anymore. We're about to have issues. (laughs) Uh, um, So I don't know how to say this name, but uh, Pancho Chacho. (laughs) I'm going to say it with a stutter because there's three Ps there. Uh, All right. The review is, as as veterans of the trenches of Salesforce enterprise software development, John and Jerry bring a lot of experience past and present to this examination of all things Salesforce and technology in general. Critiques of Salesforce and and industry announcements, analysts, Analysis. Ugh, I'm gonna start this sentence over. Critiques of Salesforce and industry announcements. Analysis of development techniques. Discuss discussion of new Salesforce features. Questions from listeners. <laughs> postmortems on public events are all up for grabs as they take turns working through their backlog of the week's news in the industry. That was a long sentence. That that was a well architected. That was a. <laughs> it was like an. It was a yeah well defined sentence. Yeah. Okay. As a Salesforce employee. Whoa. As a Salesforce employee, I find their no BS approach one of a one of a few tough love counterpoints to the usually endless positive tone of the Salesforce ecosystem. Despite their sometimes pointed criticism, underneath it there is a genuine desire to see Salesforce and the whole Salesforce community improve, succeed, and thrive. As one friend might talk to another, saying, "Dude, come on, you can do better than that." Yeah, and that's that's. I mean, I, I, that sums it up well. And I know, I know that uh, I probably turned a lot of people off because I'm critical of Salesforce and. We complain about things, but we absolutely do. I mean, part of the reason that I wanted to like start recording our discussions is just because I want to move this this platform forward. I mean, when I had, you know, it really hit me when I, you know, years ago got a phone call with the Salesforce CTO and a couple of product managers, and they're like, "Yeah, Jeremy, no one's asking us for these things." I was like, "What?" I mean, I, it was almost it's it's you, it's hard to believe that. Yeah, and so I'm just like, "Well, I don't know. What can I do to?" to start spreading some ideas of ways we can do this better, ways we can this platform can improve. And if if Salesforce doesn't know that people are out there that that want this, then well let's let's let them know. 
Yeah. And I, so I know we sound that critical and, and we, you know, we, you know, can't have fun with things, but it's, it's all in, um, believe it or not, it's all for a good cause and in good spirits and, and, uh, we should talk about what you tried to do before the podcast, and that was start a secret blog that you never published. And it turns out secret blogs, yeah. you know, <laughs> don't get very popular. <laughs> um, but no, that, thanks for the re. I mean, that was that's. It's very nice to hear that uh, that at least some people, you know, they they see that that you know as cranky as I am, that it, it comes from a good place, and this is what I do, you know, and I want it to get better for me selfishly and from and for everyone that uses this platform. Yeah. I agree. Um, yeah. And I don't want them, you know, I want them to continue and I don't want them to get bought by Oracle. I want them to, you know, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, if Salesforce doesn't do well and their stock take, takes a big dip, I mean, that makes them a, that makes them a takeover target. I don't, I don't want that. I want this thing to keep going. People are getting a lot of value out of it. I just, I just want things to get better. And soon maybe DX will solve some of this. I think it's, I think DX is, you know, an effort to take this in the right direction. I think it's a, I think it's, I think DX is a long journey. And, you know, that's why I'm not like just jumping out of the gate, you know, criticizing, oh, you're not doing this, you're not doing that. And I'm, and I'm sure I'm, you know, my fear is that people, that's what people expect of me mm-hmm. is just to be this guy who's instantly critical. And that's, that's not really my, my thing, I think. I hope not anyway. Oh, that's your thing. I know, I know this is like going to be a long <laughs> journey. You know, they've got a 20 year old legacy platform. Yeah. I mean, I saw a thing written just today that was that, um, in fact, I, I don't remember the details, but it's on my Twitter feed. And it, it, some analysts saying that if Salesforce f- were built today, it would be built on microservices. And and, um, and I kind of question the, the validity of that. But, but because Salesforce, I'm sure, does have a number of microservices they run. But, but I do think, just based on what I know, that Salesforce is a monolithically built application. It's a mm-hmm. you know, traditional... It's how you would have built a Java application 15 years ago. That's, that's how it's still built. That's, um, in, in general... Again, I'm sure there's parts of it that have been splintered off and have been built out differently. But my point is, though, it's, it is it is a legacy application that they are trying to keep rolling forward, and, and it's difficult. But I don't know where I was going with that. But um, yeah, I mean, well, it is, and things things do take time, I and mean, we can we can use lightning that's, as that's an my example. Point. This will take time. Yeah. This is not going to. We're not going to fix everything overnight. But the fact that Salesforce has said, you know what, we're going to pay some people. And put some resources behind the idea of making this a better experience for developers. I mean, that's that was at least. I mean, that's a move in the right direction. That's a signal, right? That well, yeah, because I mean, that was our biggest complaint. That, you go to Dreamforce, you go to you hear all these events, you see all the marketing around Salesforce, and it's very point and click heavy. It's very focused on no software, no no programming, no development, and yet those of us who actually do have to do development, either building an app or customizing heavily customizing Salesforce for a customer. We don't have the right tools, yeah. and, it's, and we're and, begging for the right, right tools. And and the, and the impression is, oh, look at you know, look at how great everything is. Look at all these success stories. Look at all these happy customers. And you know, you see the pictures, like you talk about, of the, the super happy women. You know, looking up at <laughs> looking up at Benioff, and everything's perfect. And and it's like, you know, I'm glad there's success stories and everything, but that's not the reality. And it's like when we when we talk to people who some of the, these these pretty big companies that you know decided to port an application over to Salesforce or build something big on Salesforce, and we're just like. Oh my God! I want to hear the details of that because that had to be like yeah. crazy. I mean, you went from like building this on a Microsoft platform to to the Salesforce platform. I mean, I want to hear about all how you're doing to get around all these problems. Like, I yeah, want let's, to, let's 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 find a place. Let's have a beer. <laughs> let's, exactly. let's, let's get this done. <laughs> um, but no, just the fact that we've gone from well, Jeremy, no one's t- no one's t- you're the only one who's asking for this to all of a sudden 
now it's, I don't say all of a sudden, I mean, it was five years ago, to now it's like they've, they've moved at least enough that they, you know, they're going to work on improving this. And I don't know what's going to happen, but I, I know it's going to, I know it's going to take a long time. But if we can get incremental improvements, I mean, that's, you know, it's better than nothing. And I'm willing to give it a shot and support it in whatever way I can. I'm going to be honest about it, you know. And it's, I think it's also, I think it's always important to know, okay, here's what we've gotten done, but here's what still is left to do. And let's not forget that because right. there's still, there is a reason that Salesforce is basically the top dreaded, it's certainly the dreaded, you know, modern cloud technology. The only one that was worse than it was SharePoint, and that was by a hair. Yeah. So we have a huge task, and it's going to take a lot. It's going to take a. It's going to take time. Well said, sir. Yeah. All right, John. Well, given all of our mishaps and everything else, and to that I say, yeah. good day, sir. <laughs> we think you need to integrate your global supply chain, move assembly overseas, and accelerate inventory velocity. Great. <laughs> Do it, sir. We don't actually do what we propose. We just propose it. Yeah. you believe that guy? Oh, my gosh. Salesforce only does one thing, which is CRM. And when you say CRM, you're showing your age.